Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I have a real dear friend, a church member for many, many years, and he had a saying that he always said when he had to make a speech, and he said, I'd rather be here than in the newest jail anywhere in the United States. I want to modify that a little bit and say I'd rather be here this morning than in the suite of the highest motel at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, watching the ocean roll around this morning. So I'm glad I'm here this morning, and I'm glad you asked me to be a part of this time together. First, I'd like to say thank you for the cards I've been getting as I went through uh, some trying times in my life. And I always look forward to seeing those cards as they come. I'm uh, several from here at Sulphur Springs. What do you say in a day and a time like we live? What is appropriate? Our lives have been disrupted. Our churches have been disrupted. Our spiritual life sometimes has been upheavaled in life. What do we look forward to or what is it that we can grab hold of in a time like this that we live? I can't believe it can't be but just one thing. And Paul's writings in Romans chapter number 5 will be our text this morning. As we look at this chapter, as I want to talk to you about what I call the seven wonders of grace... Time probably will not allow me to get through seven of them, but I'm going to go a few of them with you this morning. The wonders of grace. A lot of folks call this passage in Romans chapter 5 the treasures of those of everyone or anyone who looks to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the time we live in, let's look at them as wonders. Now, what is a wonder? Well, for you, a bass fisherman, when you throw that lure out in that little brush pile and all of a sudden something hits it as hard as it feels like a stump, the wonder begins to build up in you as to how big it is and you get more excited every time you reel it closer, a little bit closer to you, right? Maybe something else does that in your life. You may be a deer hunter. And you're sitting in the stand and all of a sudden there walks the biggest buck you've ever seen. And the wonder begins and the excitement begins to build in your life at that moment. I believe we as Baptists and especially as Christians in our day need some excitement generated in our life. I can't see it in the viruses going around. I can't see that excitement in the upheaval of our homes and the way our work and everything's going in the and our country itself itself but I think Paul gives us something that ought to create within us a magnitude of excitement in the Christian life so before I get into the text we we need to get the setting of this text Paul had a wide range of emotion before he penned Romans chapter 5. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, Paul gives a documentary 
on the wickedness that's found in the world. When you, when you look at that chapter, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, he said. Paul goes into detail talking about how far man had slipped from God in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, Paul says that, he simply says, there's no excuse for it. You have no excuse being what you are and the way you're acting in life. He says, for God, for, for God also gave unto them uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts and dishonored their bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and served the creature more than the creature who is blessed forever. Paul's saying there, there's no excuse for being the way you are. And then he comes to chapter 3. And Paul says something in there. He says, we're all guilty. When you remember that famous verse in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he said. Paul says all are guilty. Every one of us are guilty of that. And then come to chapter 4, Paul begins to get, bring the argument into play on believing and trusting in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that Christ and believing and trusting in Him is the only way that we can get away from the guilt of what's in our life or the sinfulness in our life. And it's through Him. And He uses the example of Abraham and his faith and having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes that argument in chapter 4. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore. Now, it, I was taught in school, always look and see what therefore is there for. It all goes back and hinges on verses 24 and 25 of chapter 4. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed, we, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who has delivered from our offenses and has raised again our justification. Paul says, now therefore, since we have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. It's there. What is this? What are the wonders of grace? What is it? E.V. Hill is a, a black minister that I had a lot of respect for and he preached a lot of sermons. And he had one that he's preached all the time. He says, what do you have when you have Jesus? What do you have when you have Jesus? He just kept preaching. The last time I heard anything, he had about 14 points on what you have when you have Jesus. Paul gives us a summary of what we have when he says, therefore, being justified. I want to break it down and say something this morning. The first thing we have when we are a born-again believer in Christ Jesus, that is, I have accepted Him and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead into my life, and I have put faith and trust in Him that He is the Savior and He is the only thing that's going to keep me from hell in eternity. I have that. Then I have something. 
I have a document. That's what Paul says here. Therefore, being justified by faith. We have a document. I don't know about how you believe and trust, but I know this. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in Heaven. It's there. That's my document I hold. I have been justified. And listen to me. There's nothing that can take that away from me. Not one thing in this world. I have been justified by the faith that I have in Christ Jesus. Now that word justified is something unique Paul used here. He says it's a word that uh, occurs as something complete done. I have been justified and I don't need to do anything else to make that happen. I am justified. I am now not guilty of what takes place. Now that doesn't mean my life shouldn't change and some things in my life. But I am no longer guilty in the sight of God. That's written in ink and it's written in red. I believe it's written in the blood of Jesus Christ in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because it's through that blood that that document can only be and nothing else. It has to be through the blood. So I believe it's written in red. In heaven itself, it's there. Paul says simply this. The fine point of that is this. Reveals that this kind of document is a reality. Now here's what I want you to get this morning. If you don't get anything else. That if you have bowed before an altar before Almighty God and confessed His Son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and accepted Him and become a follower of Him, you are justified and that is a reality. A reality. It's not a feeling. It's not something somebody just says. It's a reality in life. And our Paul says, therefore, because of the reality of our justification in life, we have peace with God. That means that I am no longer an enemy with God. That peace he talks about is that condition in which we best live in this life. The peace he's talking about is, as I live under the justification and the grace of God, there's a peace about that that makes my life better here, even through epidemics like we've been going through. It's there. Paul had a way of saying, he says, I knew that we're sometimes alienated and enemies to your, in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath recon, been reconciled in the body of his flesh through the death presented you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. I didn't deserve it. It wasn't there. I didn't, could do anything to get it, but God gave it to me in simple faith. Paul describes that over and over, he says. Now listen carefully. If you have not been justified, that is, if you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life, you're back in chapter 1, 2, and 3. You can't go on. Nothing Paul says from this point on refers to you. He made that point. The key is our justification. It's found there. Without the document of justification, you can never claim the great inheritance or the great wonders of grace in your life. It'll never happen. And it's important. It's very important. That is the most important thing 
you will ever do in your life as an individual. Think about it. Read chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans. If you're not a Christian this morning, read them. And listen to what Paul says. And there's where you are in life, right there. Now let's get on. We're qualified now, okay? I'm going to assume that everybody here is a Christian. If you ain't, I hope you are before you leave here today. Okay? If you are, then what is it? Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith unto the grace wherein we stand. Now remember, my justification is a reality. In life, I'm justified. It's there. Paul says here then that I have access. Now that's a, a unique word. It's used three times in the tense that it's used here in the New Testament. It's used in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It's Roman in Ephesians 2.18 and Ephesians 3.12. It's used there, and that word access always relate in these verses relates to our access to the Heavenly Father. It's there. There's a key, not to an earthly door, not to a storehouse that many want on earth itself, but I can walk into the throne of grace right before God anytime I want to in life, and I can stand before my Heavenly Father because of the grace and justification. It's found. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That's when I begin to feel what I have. It's when I can walk into the presence of God, get on my knees and walk right to the throne of God and have a conversation with Him just like I was talking to my son-in-law or anyone else. That's God. I have access to that. That's a great wonder of that. Now think about what it says. The believer is lavished with the grace of God at the moment he receives Christ into his life, that which he deserves. And we have the grace of God in our life and the presence of God with us continually. How do I know that? Go back to Ephesians. When I got saved, when I bowed my head, confessed Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, sealed me into the day of redemption. And who is the Holy Spirit of God? It's God Himself in the Spirit living within me. And I have that in my life. I have access to God continually in my life when it's there. Grace must be understood not only as a reality, but listen to me. Grace is when something we stand. We stand. I've been lavished with grace. I stand in grace all the time. Makes no difference where I'm at. In life, I stand in grace. Is that what, not what Paul said? He said, by whom also you have access to the, uh, by faith unto the grace wherein you stand. I stand in grace all the time. I carry it with me. I've been lavished with the grace. It's found there. I like it the way someone said before. We don't, we don't fall in it and we don't fall out of grace. We stand. In grace. Every day when I get up and start my day, I stand in the grace of God. Every night when I go to bed and go to sleep, I lie in the grace of God. The grace of God is with me. All the time as a believer itself. It's there. Reality, I have a document of judgment. And I'm standing in the grace of God. I don't know about you, but that gets, I don't know anybody else I'd rather stand with. Do you? Than God Himself, who knows everything about you and everything you need. 
it's found there. But Paul goes on, he says in the last part of that verse, there's a, the wonder of rejoicing. He says, listen to that, he says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice. Past, I'm justified. Present, I stand in the access of God and the promise of glory to come. Now Paul is talking about the glory that we'll receive when Christ comes. I don't know about you, but this world doesn't have enough to offer to keep me here. God has more for me. And whatever that is, I can't describe it. I can give you some adjectives that the Bible gives, but it's beyond anything that we can imagine what God has for us out there. And Paul says, I rejoice in the hope of what God is going to give me in time to come that's out there. I think it's like this, a good example. It's like that father stood there in the Gospels as he looked up and he saw that wayward son coming and rejoicing began. Even before he got there, plans were made for something great. Listen to me. God has plans for those that trust and believe Him. It's beyond our imagination that are already in the works. He's got them there. Rejoicing. I think it's that feeling and the rejoicing that we get like John Newton did when he penned those words, Amazing Grace. I mean, you know, he got saved in life. If you ever read his life, read it, some, read it sometime. It's amazing. And all he could do is when he found the love of God and God saturated him with grace, all he could sing was Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. That's joy. That's what is there. We ought to be rejoicing because we're justified and standing in grace. It's there. But there's a little unique thing about this word we need to understand. This word entitles us to boast. Because in the Greek use of that word, it's there. It carries with it the meaning to boast. We have permission to boast a little bit. What do we do? Well, we boast in God. That's what we do. Paul put it another way. He said, but he that glory, let him glory in God himself. You know what we need to be doing? Boasting about God. Boasting about God. How many of us got up this morning bragging about God? How many of us will get up in the morning and go to work bragging about God? Think about it. Rejoicing, bragging. I, I put it in a, a terminology that I like to use. It said, we ought to be enti- have an enticing melody about us that's way beyond in a far country. We ought to be singing in our life the joys of a far country beyond anything here that's there. Paul tells us when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. In glory. I don't know what all that is. I don't care. But I believe God and I believe there's something great out there and we ought to be rejoicing. See, that's a wonder of grace. In grace, I have that. It's there. Paul tells us when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will appear with Him and all of there. I like that. Oh, who life is. Our life is. The glory of Christ alone. We will share in the riches of Jesus one day. Man, think about it. That's a lot more exciting than in that bass on the end of that rod, I can tell you that. When I think about what's coming in God, it's there.
What a wonder that is, he says. Enticing. Our melody ought to be that of a foreign land. When people look at us, they have said, well, they're in some other country. They're not even in this country. Our mind is out yonder somewhere else. Then there's another thing that Paul said that I like. Look at that verses 3 and 4. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The audacity of Paul. Talk about rejoicing, and then talk about trouble. Think about that. That's what he said. We ought to be rejoicing because of who we are, what we have coming, but he said we ought to be rejoicing in our tribulation. Tribulation. We don't like tribulation because it means trials. It's coming. Those T words we don't really like. It's there. But Paul says we ought to be glorying, praising in our tribulations. Mixed feelings. You know why we don't? It's because we don't understand what tribulation is about. We don't understand it in our life. I believe Paul gave us three steps of tribulation in those verses that we ought to go by and look at. What are they? Well, Paul said simply this. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance. Imagine with me a tube of toothpaste. How in the world did you get the toothpaste out on the toothbrush to get brush your teeth? You squeeze it. You squeeze it. Most of us squeeze it from the top. We ought to squeeze it from the bottom. But we squeeze it. That's what tribulation does. That's what Paul said tribulation is. You see, when I go through these hard times and I face something in life, whatever it may be, some, something in life, whether it be health or emotional or something else, when I go through that and I get through it, then I come out stronger on the other side. Stronger on the other side. It's kind of like gold. You know how to get the impurities out of gold? You fire it up. You fire it up. The same way with silver. The Scriptures teach us. How do you make iron strong? By fire. What happens to us is tribulation comes in our life. It makes us stronger to come. And when I go through something in this life, the next time something comes along like that, I am stronger and more apt to endure and be, go through with that in great ease. That's what tribulation does. It's there. It puts that before us. It brings us to... So even something, it brings us closer and in a greater bond with our Heavenly Father. That's what tribulation ought to do for us in life itself. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, we're blessed when what? When we're persecuted. Job said, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. That's what testing is. And tribulation. But it goes on as a second step. Perseverance changes character. Brings character in life. It's there. What exactly is character? Well, Paul refers to it as the idea of a character without impurities. 
a man or woman of integrity. James refers to it as a process of perfection. What's happening? Our tribulation does what? It takes those impurities out of our life that are displeasing to God and makes us more like Jesus. That's what it does. And that's what it's all about in life. And tribulation. So when I look at this, God is putting me through this time right now to make me a better person and make me more like Jesus. And then the idea of tribulation changes in my thought. It's not an oh me or an oh my. Oh, how great I'll be when I get through it because I'll be more like Him. And tribulation, it's there. It's there. Paul said it, or James said it this way, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. When we endure, we begin to lose our fear. We develop an assurance of strength in the faith in which we stand and our dependency upon God that we can overcome whatever it is in life and come out stronger because of it. That's what it's all about. That's what it's here. Paul says it's there. Tribulation. Tribulation squeezes us unto what Jesus wants us to be in life. But there's a third step, he says. He goes on, he says, from character to hope. People of character are positive people. They live by rules of righteousness. They know that works. That works. There's a question. How many truly hopeful people do you know in the day in which we live? You know, I don't like people that are not positive. I don't like to be around negative people. You know why? Because I become negative. And I want to stay positive, whatever it is in life. In life. And if we have hope, we're positive. Positive. Our hope does that to us. It makes us positive in life itself. A positive pattern breeds hope. And it destroys the, the cynicism of the, that marks the age in which you and I live right now does that in life hope springs forth character character from perseverance and perseverance from tribulation but only when we trust God to lead us through the fire I don't want to leave that out every tribulation you go through trust God that there's a reason and a purpose and you're going to come out greater on the other end why because nothing gets past God and God's not going to let something happen in His children's life that He does not control and He's going to make good come out of it in life. Testimony. A few years back, I went through cancer. I didn't dream I'd ever go through that. It was all there. Fear come. But let me tell you what that did. It showed me some things in the scriptures that I had never, ever seen before. Never. And I came out of that experience stronger in what I believe and my trust in God because of it. It's there. The fear's gone because I can see what God was saying. That's what it's all about. 
That's what our tribulation is. Our hope's there. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed unto us. What did Paul say? Let me give you a good old Avery County boy interpretation of that. Paul said the suffering in this world ain't worth talking about compared to what we have coming. That's exactly what he said. We ain't worth talking about. It's there. Paul's saying, do I have problems? Absolutely I have problems. I have them. But they're not worth talking about. When we begin to discuss the incredible things God has in store for us. In store for us. It's there. So, Paul says we'll rejoice in tribulation. Why? Because we know what's coming out on the other side of it. I'm going to be better because of it. Quickly, let me give you another one. The fifth wonder is an outpouring. This is that verse 5. I hope make them not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. He said, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul in these verses is saying simply this, God's love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to explain that outpouring is particularly sweet and prayerful because Christ died for the ungodly. See, once the love of God is poured out on us, the power is absolute and final. It's there. I thought about it this way. Real Christians have an essence about them. We had a lady uh, years ago in the church that I pastored in Crossnell that wore a very powerful perfume. You could smell her coming before she ever got to you. It was there. Now, I'm not saying it was a bad smell. It was a good smell. But you could smell it when she come in. On Sunday morning, it was there. It's there. You may not be able to smell the essence of a Christian's breath. But let me tell you what you can do. You can hear it in their talk and in their walk. It's there. Now here's the key. The love of God has been poured out in us. And I like it this way. Saturated us. He didn't use an eyedropper when he did it. Okay? He used one of them big buckets. And he poured it out all over us. And it should create in us an ethicy or a, a pleasureness or a, a smell about us. We won't smell it, but we'll hear it in words. See, for those people who love God has become a supreme fact in their life because nothing can separate them from it. And it makes us different. I use this illustration. You're sitting in a long line of automobiles waiting on something out in front of you to get out of the way and somebody behind you is going beep, 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 beep. Now how, what goes through your mind? I wish that would shut up. 
But if a Christian would say it, he'd say it this way. They really must be going through a bad time today. I need to pray for them. See the essence that's there? It's different. When we go into a room, there ought to be something about us that everybody knows we're different. We're different. That's the wonders of grace. We'll be that. Quickly, I'll give you the last two. Verses 9 and 10. Much more than being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That's the wonder of direction. The main idea behind these verses is this. God has already achieved a difficult task in our life. He sent His Son to die for us. That's the difficult task God has accomplished. I've got one son. And I'm going to stand right here flat-footed and look you right in the eye and tell you, I am not going to sacrifice him for anybody. I can't do that. I can't do that. But God did. God did for each one of us. He did that. He sacrificed his son for us. That's the difficult task God has accomplished. Now I want to ask you something. Do you not think if God can accomplish that in life, he can accomplish anything else he wants to in your life? Now think about that. That's what he says. That's what Paul's saying. In Christ's life, we can have anything that's there. Direction works in two ways. As I serve God, I look back and the darkness of the glimpse of the past is going away. The light is going out on my past sins and my past life and everything else. But the light is beginning to shine in the future on what God has for me and my life and how much better that life's going to be in the coming time ahead. Man, what a direction is there. You know why it's that way? Because right in the middle, from my past to my future, right in the middle stands the cross of Jesus Christ. And it overshadows me. It overshadows my past, and God forgave me. It overshadows my future, and God's going to lead and direct me into the best life that I can have. Man, what a wonder. What, don't that get exciting? Think about what God's doing. It's there. Griffith Thomas' word says this, If the death of Christ was means for our reconciliation, then the life of Christ will be the means for all of our perseverance of everything that comes about. If His death was that that saved us, His life will be that that brings great life to us in the future. It's there. Last one. Verse 11. For not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That's the wonder of worship. The wonder of worship. It's there. The believer knows that these wonders Paul has talked about 
are not ordinary things. They're not the run-of-the-mill stuff that this world has. They're not ancient wonders. They're new today as they are. They are the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. These wonders are there. Paul calls us to rejoice, to boast. But here in this verse, he says to us, rejoice is a meaning of joy. And we are to come into the house of God whenever we come, walking, stepping high, singing a tune in our minds that leads us to the throne of grace. And man alive, what a time we'd have. I have to admit something. I come in this morning saying, this blame mask is fogging up my glasses. I can't see where I'm going half the time. It's there. Then I had to repent sitting right down here on this front pew. I'm here today because of something great. I'm here because God shed His grace of love on me. I'm here. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be shouting. I want to ask you something. What would happen to our nation? What would happen to our community right here in Head Night? If everybody that came through the doors of Sulphur Springs Baptist Church came in singing a far country song in their heart and a joy and shouting and going on and being happy and then go out of here doing the same thing. Same thing. See, I believe the scriptures teach us something. Paul does. Right now, it leaves my mind, but it's in Galatians, I think, or Colossians. But it said, Paul says this, that if we who are Christian are joying in the grace of God in our life, then the Gentiles are going to know the mystery of God and salvation. This world's looking for something, my friend. It's looking for something out there. It's filled with despair. People are weary. And many have come to the end of themselves. Because their hands and their feet are entangled in the coils of this world. And the sins of this world. It's out there. But the, if we would live out the wonders of grace in our life. These people would know, know who Jesus is. And he's the answer in life. Think about it. The wonder of grace is a reality. I am justified before God. That's a reality. And I stand in his grace. I stand there. Every day of my life, I stand there. Wherever I'm standing in grace, wherever I'm at, I'm standing in grace. Wherever I, or whatever I do, wherever I go in life, I stand in grace. Everything about me is God's wonderful grace in our life. It's there. I want to simply ask you a question. Can you go past Romans 1 5, 5 1, excuse me? Can you say, 
Therefore, by grace, I've been justified. Can you say that this morning? You know, it's hard to get excited and to get happy about what Jesus has done if he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done anything. See, he died for you. And it's important. But if you've never accepted him, my friend, listen, you're guilty. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Now, that's not physical death. That's eternal damnation. It's eternal separation from God himself. From all that's good and all that's righteous. That's what that death is. He's talking about. But oh, if you can say I've been justified and I've got the document of justification in my hand. I've been saved. Then my friend, rejoice on the wonders of what God has done. Rejoice. Yeah. We've been disrupted. But listen to me. The joys of God have not been disrupted. Through all of this epidemic we've been going through, that grace is still at the same level as it was before. And that's what ought to be exciting about us. Are you excited about who Jesus is? in your life. I think there's a hymn of invitation that's going to be saying, I'm going to take it on myself to say this altar's open to anybody and everybody that needs to come. You just may need to come and say, God, I've been so sad that I have forgotten where my happiness lies, where my hope lies, where the joy lies in life. Maybe I need to get on my knees before God and say, God, refresh my memory of what you've done in my life. Well, I too can be happy in these days. But you may be one that's in you. Preacher, I didn't get past the first statement in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans. I don't have that document of justification in my life. But my friend, listen to me. It's here. It's yours. All you have to do is take it. And it's all wrapped up in trust in Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and saying, I'm his, and I want him in life. I want him in life. It's all yours. Pray with me. Father, we bow this morning thanking you for the joys and the wonders of grace in life. Help us today to get excited about what you've done and what you're doing every day in our life. And Father, if there be one here today that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that you touch that heart in a way that they'll come to know him before we leave this place.
In Jesus' name, amen. This altar's open, and I'm sure there's deacons here that will come and pray with you. You need a deacon. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.